Saul goes one, two, one, two. Everybody can hear me. So Saul goes out to find his father's donkeys that were lost. That is where we started reading from, right? So the mission is, go find my donkeys, for they are lost. But little did Saul know that he was not just going to find his father's donkeys. He was actually going to encounter Samuel, the prophet, that would change his life forever. It will give him a mission and a purpose. The prophet is going to pronounce that he is the leader of Israel, that he's going to be the one that's going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. When Saul set out, he was going to set out to find donkeys. Say this with me. Things aren't always what they seem. What Saul thought he was going to do, there was a much greater purpose, and God had orchestrated all of this. God even told the prophet, by this time tomorrow, you'll meet a guy. And I want to tell you, friend, by this time tomorrow, you will meet a guy. You will meet a woman. You will meet your destiny. You will meet the reason and the purpose that you are on this earth. What we need to do is we need to be on the lookout. We need to just always be on the lookout. What is God saying to me? Why am I here? Why do I work in this company? I'm frustrated in this company. I don't want to be here. My boss irritates me. But you see, friend, things aren't always what they seem. How many of you have been in a place and you just walk past someone? And that's why I always say we mustn't miss church. Because you see, you don't just come here to be fed. You come here to feed. What do I mean by that? You'll walk down the corridor. You'll bump into someone. And you will just simply tell them God loves you. And that is exactly what that person needed to hear. That is exactly what that person needs to hear. You know, in the book of Ephesians, the Bible speaks about the five-fold ministry. It says God has given some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. For what? For the work of the ministry. You see, we're all in ministry. I'm in ministry. You're in ministry. We all need to be equipped for the work of the ministry. When you go to work on Monday morning, the world says it's a blue Monday. The world says you must be sad. Just go to work tomorrow, drive, and just watch some of the people's expressions in their cars. They looked like someone stole their food. But you see, we need to be different because God is with us every day, including Mondays. And so we need to be different. We need to be the light to the world. And so Saul goes out and he meets this man. And on the journey that he meets, um, that he meets the prophet Samuel, you know, where God told Samuel, you will meet Saul. Samuel eventually anoints Saul as the next the next deliverer, the next person that's going to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistine. Now we know, or maybe you don't, but Saul actually becomes the king of Israel at a later stage in his life. In fact, Saul becomes, because before Saul was crowned king, they only had judges. 
So Saul actually was the first king of Israel. And it started off by him going to look for donkeys. But you see, friend, Saul had no clue when he went out on his mission that his life was about to change. But Saul didn't believe in himself. Because what does he say to the prophet? He says, but I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in the whole of Israel. And then he gives him another excuse. He says, I'm also from the least significant family. I'm not qualified. You see, friend, God qualifies you. It doesn't matter what your education, what your background, how many months or years you spent at university. When God qualifies and calls you, He also equips you. Where God leads, He feeds. And so Saul Saul says to Samuel, but here's all the excuses why, why I can't be the next deliverer of Israel. And he lists them. There's other characters in the Bible that did the same thing. You know Moses, when God called Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses said, God, but I stutter. I can't speak well. Send someone else. When God spoke to Gideon, Gideon was hiding in the the wine press in Judges chapter 6. He was hiding from the Midianites because the Midianites were just cruel to the Israelites. They would steal and plunder their harvest and crops. And Gideon is hiding in this wine press. He's busy trading grain. When the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and he says, Mighty man of valor. Speaking to someone that's hiding. But you see, God sees beyond your attire. He sees beyond your natural abilities. God looks what's in here. What is in the heart? Can I trust this guy? Can I trust this woman? You know, this church is so blessed. I know your pastor. I know him well. And he's a man that loves his church. We had lunch two weeks ago. He can't stop talking about the church and the people. And I can see that because everybody, since we entered in here, when we met your praise and worship, can't remember his name, excuse me, but he met us in the car park, so friendly, helpful, assisting, till we came to sit down, you know, and, um, and everybody here is just serving. And I said to, to, to my friend Henry, I said, you see, this is what church should be like. When the pastor's not there, the church continues. Amen. And so hats off to you. Why don't you give yourselves a hand? Because you're serving the Lord. You are serving the Lord. You're not serving a man. You're serving the one that created this universe. Always remember that Pastor Abi has been set as the man of God in this house together with his wife. But at the end of the day, we're about the Father's business. Amen. And so Saul goes, and Saul eventually, after the excuses, he goes and he accepts this role that God has placed on him to be the deliverer of Israel. You see, friends, Saul didn't know how this was going to happen. Again, I want to remind you, he went out to look for donkeys. 
But you see, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24, it's one of my favorite scriptures. And I've got a lot of favorite scriptures. But it says this in Proverbs 20, 24. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says it this way. The Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? If the Lord directs your steps, why do you want to understand everything along the way? Proverbs is basically telling us here. Now we know Proverbs was written by, by Solomon, who was and still is, they say, the wisest man that ever lived. I just want to say, I'm not too sure about that statement because he had a thousand women in his life, concubines and wives. Anybody that's got that many women, I don't know how wise they are. All right, but anyway, beside the point. All right, so, so, so he says here, why do you want to understand everything along the way? And isn't that how we are today as Christians? Lord, you direct me. Lord, you lead me. Your, Lord, you, your will be done in my life. We even pray that prayer. But do we really want the Lord to lead us? Do we really follow where he's leading? Or do we first want to understand how we're going to get there? Lord, in fact, I've got my plans. You just blessed my plans. Now I want to say this to you. The Lord is not obligated to bless your plans. The Lord is obligated to, to abide to his word. And so what we often do is we say, Lord, you direct my steps, but I've got my plans in place. In fact, I've got plan A and plan B and plan C. I know how I'm going to get there. Lord, I really actually don't need you to direct my steps. That's really sometimes what our actions are saying. And so in Psalms 105, verse 119, the Bible says this, and I'm paraphrasing because depending on the translation that you are reading, but it says this, the word of God is a light unto our path and it's a lamp unto our feet. That's what the word of God is. So in other words, when we want the Lord to direct our steps, how do we let him, we take it, we take the word of God that's a light and a lamp, and we go and we follow what the Word tells us to do. So, Lord, if you're going to direct my steps, I'm going to make sure that I stay in the Word. And so Saul only knew what was in front of him. He only could see so far. But you see, the Lord knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. You see, the Lord is not limited by human sight. He knows what your future is. And I want to encourage someone today is that God is in your plans. As long as your plans are in line with his plans. We cannot have plans that are separated from God's plan for our life. So he's already in your future. And sometimes not knowing where my next step is, it's sometimes okay. It's sometimes the best place to be in. Because it simply means we have to now use our faith. And the Bible says in three different places that the just shall live by faith. I heard this analogy some, uh, some time ago, and I really like it. 
It says, if the just shall live by faith, that means every aspect of our lives, not only when we're in church, but every aspect of our lives is done in faith. In fact, when we tithe, we tithe in faith. When we give offerings, we give in faith. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive. God won't bless that. You can do the right thing, but with the wrong motive, God will not bless that. And so God knows the end from the beginning. And sometimes we don't know, and that's okay. The analogy that that I heard was this. Sometimes we as Christians, we don't use the word of God. We don't use faith, rather, to guide us through life. We don't use it as our steering wheel in life. We use it as our spare wheel. In other words, what we sometimes do, we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. But we're changing and we're growing, right? So we're not going to stay there. But here's what we do is, I need finances. I go to the boot, I take out my spare wheel called faith, and I apply faith. I need healing in my body, so I use my spare wheel of faith. No, the Bible says the just live by faith. It's in the good times and in the bad times that we use our faith, because faith is your steering wheel through life, guys. It is not your spare wheel. Don't just pull it out when you need it. You use faith in every aspect of your life. So Saul didn't know how he was going to accomplish and lead the children of Israel from this oppressive oppressive nation, which is the Philistines. He didn't know. He didn't know that he was going to be king further down the line. He didn't know. And sometimes you and I, we don't need to know how God is going to get us to where we're going to go. Some of you, God has given you dreams. God has given you visions. God has given you things in your heart that you are going to do for him. But where you're sitting right now, you're saying, Pastor, I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm saying to you, it's okay. God knows. He knows the end from the beginning. All you need to do is, if you're saying, Lord, direct my steps, be prepared to follow him. Even if he leads, is not comfortable for you. God's less interested in your comfort, and he wants you to be comfortable. But he's less interested in your comfort and more interested in your growth. He's more interested in your commitment. He's more interested in you being a person of integrity. That you're going to do what you said you're going to do, even if it's to your hurt. You see, because that shows character. And so Psalm 119 verse 105, where the word says, The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I asked the Lord one day, Lord, why is the word a lamp and a light? What does that scripture mean? I like to read the Bible that way. You know, Lord, I don't understand what this means. Explain to me what this means. I asked the Lord even, Lord, why do you have all these names, chronological names? And why is that in the Bible? I still don't have an answer for that. I just skipped those verses. This one begat, this one begat, this one begat. I could, most of you can't pronounce most of those names in any case. So when I have an answer for that one, I'll tell you. But this one I got an answer for. 
Lord, why is the word a lamp and a light? And the Lord said to me this, you're going to need the word to be both in your life at different times in your life. You see, a lamp only shines, only gives you enough light to show you your next step. That's what a lamp does. If you have got a lamp, it doesn't illuminate the whole street. It just shows you where your next step is. That's why the word of God is a lamp, just to give you your next step. And you take that step in faith, knowing that the Lord has gone before you. And so sometimes in life, Saul just needed to know what his next step is. What do I need to do next, Lord? But then the word of God is also a light unto your path. You'll also need that at times. Because sometimes you need to see a little bit further. See the bigger picture. See the end. The goal. And so a light does exactly that. When you put a light up, it illuminates more than just what a lamp does. And it says it's a light to your path. So it lightens up your path. So you know a little bit more of where, what the vision is. You see, when you're casting vision for a church, you need the Word of God to be that light to the path so that you can set the vision forth, so that you can, people can know that they are following something. And I thought that made so much sense and I find myself in both places in my life at times. When we started the church back in 2020, which was in the same month that COVID came to South Africa, we started our church on the 1st of March 2020. South Africa went into their first lockdown on the 27th of March 2020. So we had a service on the 1st, which was our opening service. We had 126 people there. I thought it was awesome. The next week, we had another service, the 8th. We had 14 people there. I thought that was less awesome. Because now everybody went back to their churches, right? Because they all came out the first day to come visit and to, to, to support us. And then we had a service again on the 15th. Then again on the 22nd. And we thought we're coming back on the 29th. But then there was lockdown. We had to close the church down. We had four services, family. Four. A brand new church. We had four services, then we had to close. And so the word of God was a light because I had a vision. We had all the preparations done. We knew exactly what we were going to do as a church. We knew what our values were. We know what the Lord called us for. We know why we're in Kailami. Why did God send us to that place? We knew exactly what the church was meant to be. And then lockdown happened. And then all of a sudden, all my plans were just thrown out of the water. Me and so many others, perhaps even your church, your pastor, we had to go online. I had no clue how to do this. I didn't even have my own Facebook account. I promise you that. I didn't even have my own YouTube channel. I didn't know how these things work. But you see, within that week, within seven days, we had to go from having a service like we are now to being completely online, where no one could gather. 
where no one could gather. And I don't know how, I was saying to, to, to this is Henry, my friend, I was saying to Henry this morning, I don't know how this, our church started. There was just so many obstacles, so many reasons why we shouldn't be existing as a church. But yet, we are there. So then there was that time when I needed the Word of God to be a lamp. Just the next step. Just get up. Next step, forward. And you find yourself in that place too at times. Lord, what is just my next step? And I want to tell you, that is why Psalm 119 is there. Whenever you feel you don't know what tomorrow looks like, think of Psalm 119. It makes so much sense because Jesus says in Matthew 6.25 down to 34, you know the scriptures. But it says this, why do you worry about what you're going to eat, drink, or wear? For the pagans worry about those things. In other words, unbelievers. But your heavenly father, the Bible says, knows what you need. And he will give you what it is that you need. Verse 33 said, however, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. And like Saul, I did not know what the church was going to look like. The 27th of March, 2020, we closed. We opened up again on the 1st of September. Then we closed again in December that year. Then we opened up the following year in March. Then we closed again. And this was all because of regulations in the country. You know, we couldn't gather. And even when we could gather, when it was 50 or, or less, which we were, we were 50 or less, we still couldn't gather. You know why? Because the Department of Education instructed the schools, and we rent from a school building, instructed the schools that there are to be no other activities on school premises other than than school. No sport activities. You know this. You are part of it. There was a time our kids didn't do any sports. They couldn't go to any indoor events. You couldn't go to any indoor events. And so we were kept closed out of the first 24 months of the church existing. We were closed for about 16 months of that. But yet the, the church survived. Now, to my brother, your money is not yours. I was standing. I didn't have that song, but I'm going to get it from you. Because the reality is the Lord planted the church, but we needed people to give into the ministry to support the church, right? I don't know how, but online, people just gave. We, in fact, had people from different countries that was logging on and watching our services. We still today have people in New Zealand, people in Australia, People in England, people in Canada, people in the United States. I've got a friend in Netherlands. I've got one in Portugal. And these people are all watching our services every week. They don't belong to our church. They obviously go to their churches. But yet I was reminded of a prophecy that was spoken over us that a couple of years ago which said that your ministry will be international. I did not know how that was going to happen. And that is such a perfect example of where Saul found himself. He didn't know how God was going to use him. Gideon didn't know how God was going to use him to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. 
In fact, Gideon said to the angel, give me a sign. And then he says to the Lord, a couple of chapters or verses later, he says, Lord, if you're really going to use me, then he puts out a fleece. I don't know if you know what a fleece is, but basically it's something that tests God. He puts wool on the ground and he says, if it's tomorrow morning, this wool must be dry, and then I know, and the ground must be wet, then I know you're going to use me. And then that's not enough because the Lord does that. That's not enough. Then he says to, to the Lord, okay, let's do it the other way around. I'm going to put the wool on the ground, the fleece on the ground, and you go, and the, the fleece must be wet, but the ground must be dry. Then I know you're with me. And he puts these fleeces out. Because you see, both Gideon as well as Saul did not know what the future looked like for them. You maybe not know what the future looks like. You've got beautiful children. You look at them and you think, what's the future holding for you guys? We are currently, you know, in a bit of a recession in this country. I mean, you know this. Fuel, food prices, everything is just so, so difficult, you know. Not for us because we don't, we don't live under the economy of this world. But here's the thing, you know, you, 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 as a parent, I've got two kids. You, you can't help but look and, and, and think about what does the future hold for you? I want to say to your parent, just put that child in the hands of God. Bring your children up, Proverbs says, in the way of the Lord. When they are older, they will not depart from it. Your child is not your problem. In fact, like your money is not yours, your children's not yours. They belong to God. He's a far more loving, he's a far more capable of raising your children than you and I can ever be. And trust me, I love my children. But God loves them so much more. And so in verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 9, Samuel makes the statement. He says, I'm here to tell you that my family, or sorry, Samuel makes the statement to Saul, I'm here to tell you that you and your family are Israel's hopes. I'm here to tell you that you are South Africa's hopes. Dad, you are your family's hopes. Mom, you are your, your children's hope. They look at you. They look at their parents. And it's not what we say to them. Trust me. I've got a daughter, Zoe. She's sitting here. Now, she's probably going to Tell me I shouldn't have said that and not speak to me for three days. But she doesn't always listen to what we say. But she does everything that we do. So if I don't come to church, she's going to say to me, but you don't go. Why should I? And that's how kids are. Stop swearing. But I heard you swearing yesterday. <laughs> Drinking is not good for you. Smoking is not good for you. And you're standing with your cigarette smoking. Don't smoke. Can't do that. Children learn from us parents through our examples. And so the prophet tells Saul, you and your family. I love the scripture. I love the scripture because it speaks about your family. You see, you can't go 
places on your own and think you can just leave your family behind. Your ministry starts at home. Your ministry starts with your children. Your ministry starts with your husband, your wife. It's great that you're serving in church. But when last have you served your spouse? Just making them feel like they are the most important person. I know Jesus is, so don't get super religious on me. But person, the one that lives do, doing life with you. When last did you make them feel special? And you say to me, but pastor, they don't do it to me. It doesn't matter. You see, you don't do it for you either. You do it, or rather, let me put it this way. You don't do it for you either. When you serve someone else, you're doing it as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us that we need to do. And so the prophet says to, 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 to Saul, you and your family are going to save Israel. You are going to be the one that's going to deliver them from the Philistines. Now, the Philistines represents the unsaved. So I want to tell you that you've been sent by God to deliver your colleagues that are unsaved. You are sent by God to deliver your family that's unsaved. You are there to deliver those people that comes across your way every single day that do not know God. I want to say this to you again. Jesus did not just save you so that you can go to heaven. He saved you and given you an assignment. He's given you something to do, each and every one of you. You're not just going to the shop to get bread after work. You will bump into someone at that shop. And you will just say something small to them. And that's what they needed. I had this happen to me once. When I phoned someone, I was a pastor at, a, at CFC. And so I was checking up on someone that I haven't seen for a while. I phoned the person. The person was at the point of committing suicide when they got the call. And they said to me, Pastor, I, I needed to hear from someone today. I asked the Lord this morning, someone needs to show me that they care. And that is what the Lord will use you for. You don't just go to school. Young person, youth that's sitting here, children's kids, children's ministry. You're not just there to just be another number amongst your school friends. You're there to be different. You're not there to fit in. You are there to stand out. You are not a copy. The best copy of an original is still just a copy. God didn't make you a copy. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. And the psalmist says, this I know very well. And you need to tell yourself that every single day. When you go to school, when you go to work, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. And here's the thing. I'm saved today because of the grace of God. And I need to do what I need to do to get other people saved as well. You see, there are some people that will never sit in a church chair, but they will see you at work. And so Mahatma Gandhi was a Muslim. I'm sure you've heard about Mahatma Gandhi. He says this, 
He says, I love your God. Christians, I love your Christ. But I don't love your Christians. Because we sometimes don't represent who we say we serve. And we are particularly bad when it comes to our own. You see, here in church, we can say, brother and sister, good to see you. But tomorrow when I meet you at Checkers or Pick and Pay or Woolworths, I'm a different person. I'm here to say to each and every one of us that things aren't always what they seem. God did not just save you so that you can go to heaven one day. He saved you so that you can take as many people with you to heaven. You know, populate heaven and plunder hell. Bring people out. And sometimes it's just a seed that you plant. You know, sometimes your husband or wife or family member, it's difficult to minister to those people. But I want to encourage you, don't stop praying for them. Don't stop encouraging them, you know, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about church. Let's get away from that. You know what the word church is? It's the Hebrew word. It's called ecclesia. Ecclesia is simply a word for gathering. Like we are. We're gathering. We're church. I can go. Church is not even a religious word. It started out as a secular word. It meant, let's ecclesia. Let's gather. Now, we can gather around a braai with a beer in our hand. It's still a gathering. It's ecclesia. We can gather around having, I don't know, a drug party. That's ecclesia. That's gathering. But you see, when we gather around in church like we are now, it is us, it is us gathering together because with one common goal, and that is because of what Jesus did for us. You see, God can use anyone who's available. When Samuel says to Saul that he is the hope of all of Israel, and Saul then comes up with excuses and he tells God what God already knows. God already knows your shortcoming. When Moses went to God and, and he said to God, Lord, I stutter, God knew that he stuttered. God made him. You see, God's not looking for excuses, reasons why you can't. He's looking for your availability. And sometimes that availability is not when it's convenient for you. Sometimes that availability comes as a sacrifice that you have to make. It's not easy to always get up for church on Sunday morning to come and serve in the house of the Lord at 6 o'clock in the winter. When it's minus one, it's not easy. It's easier to fellowship with Mrs. Duvet and Mr. P. Lowe. You know who those are, eh? You don't know who that is. All right, Mr. Pillow, it's easier to just stay in bed. Duvet, it's easier to stay under the covers. But you see, sometimes we just need to say, you know what, body, come in line with what my spirit wants to do. Because here's what the word says. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to discipline that flesh. Bring it under the submission of what the spirit wants to do. Because if your spirit controls you, that means 
God is controlling you. Why am I saying that? Because doesn't the Bible say you've been made in the image of God? Have you seen God walking down the street? Why? Because he doesn't have a body. But he's all over. He's a spirit. You've been made in that image. So if you're being led by your spirit, that means you are led by God. Now, of course, I'm talking about a born-again Christian. Can't make that statement just to, you know, someone that doesn't know Jesus. But Christian, if your body is controlling you, your body is subject to death, here's a certainty, fun fact. Maybe you didn't know this, but you will die. Your body will have an expiry year on this earth. Right, fun fact. Doesn't matter how old you are. I just attended a funeral of a 28-year-old young person, played in this, the church band. And the Lord reminded me, because you are a Christian doesn't make you immune to sickness and death. This young man, 28 years old, loved the Lord. He played the drums in their church. I love your drummer, by the way. I'm going to take him with me. Where is he? He's awesome. How old is he? Five? Twelve? I love it. Young man, you know, when I was sitting there playing at you, and I know you, you, you kind of like thought I was weird because I'm staring at you, but it's just because the Lord has given me a word for you. You stay in the house of the Lord. There's a special calling and anointing on your life. I want to... I want to say to you that the Lord has given you a talent, but not only because I watched you play, it's not only because you can play drums, it's, it's the heart that you put into it. It's the emotion that you put into it. I want to tell you that the Lord has given you that gift, and so you are to use that gift for the work of the Lord like you're doing right now. The world will come after you. I can tell you that right now. The world will want to draw you into the secular side of music because you're talented. So what they will see is a talented and gifted drummer. The Lord sees you as a worshiper. The Lord sees you as more than just a drummer, but as a worshiper. You continue playing for the Lord. And I can tell you now, I just, I just see David dancing at your drum beat. And so Samuel anoints Saul to be the king over Israel in chapter 10. And he reigns, Saul reigns over Israel for 40 years. You can see that in Acts 13, 21. And Saul had many victories. He ruled over Israel successfully until one day he disobeyed God. And the anointing lifted off his life. They went to war, the Israelites did, and the Lord's instruction to Saul was very clear. Plunder everything, take no one. But Saul allowed his soldiers to take plunder from the war. In fact, to take also the women and children. And this is what Samuel, Saul says to the prophet then when the prophet calls him out. He says to the prophet, but, but I took this plunder, I took the oxen, I took the, the, the cattle, I took the as an offering for the Lord. See, prove that your actions can be right. 
but your motive is wrong, the Lord does not receive your offering. Don't ever give in to an offering. I'm talking about physically now when an offering is taken up in church. Don't ever give in to an offering because it's that time. Everyone goes, the bag goes by, I don't want people to see that, I don't put in anything. The Bible says you need to purpose in your heart. You come to church already knowing what your gift is. You don't serve a God that deserves your, your change in your purse. I'm not here to talk about your tithes and offerings, but we serve a God that deserves us go, being at home and purposing in our hearts. I want to give my best to the Lord today. It's not about the amount. Women with two mites. She came and she gave two mites. Jesus looked and said to the Pharisees that gave so much more, she gave more. See, it's the heart that the Lord looks at. And that's off the topic. That's for free. But God knows at the end of the day where to find you, child of God. You can run, but you cannot hide from him. Ask Jonah. God sent him to Nineveh. He gone on a ship. And he thought, I'm going to run from God. I'm going to go to Tarshish. The Lord found him. The Lord knew where he was. The Lord didn't even find him because he was never lost to the Lord. And so all these victories and all this successful ruling that Saul had, it cost him once to disobey God. And the anointing lifted over his head. You see, friend, the Bible says that we need to grow in faith. We need to grow from the milk of the word and start having the meat of the word. There's a growth that the Lord expects us to have. So let me tell you this, is that God is going to call each and every one of us to account for what he has given us, the gifts that he has given us. So David was tending the sheep when God called him to be the next king of Israel. After Saul, David was then anointed as king. David was sitting in the field looking after sheep, probably playing his guitar or harp or drums when God called him to be the next king of Israel. He wasn't even invited to the party because his, his father in gathered all the children, all the sons that he thought, the father thought, could qualify to be the next king. But he left David out in the field. But you see, David's heart was for God. The Bible says David was a man after his own art. And so all these fine-looking gentlemen were standing there, Eliab, the oldest. And the prophet said, surely this is the next king. Then God says, no, no, no. Man looks on the outside, but I look at the heart. And so the prophet goes through all the sons of Jesse, who was David's father. And God rejects all of them. Not because they're bad people, but because God didn't choose them for that assignment. And I sometimes think, and I look at us as Christians, and I think sometimes we envy other people's assignments. Sometimes we say, you know what, I wish I was Pastor Abby. 
Pastor Abe is going to have to answer for this church. You don't wish for an anointing that God has not given you. Sometimes you look at successful people and you say, I wish I was that person, but you don't know what that person has gone through. Walk a day in, in a man's steps and you will find out what sacrifice they sometimes have to make to get to where they are. So David was minding his own business. He didn't know what was coming. He didn't know what was happening at the father's house. That the prophet was sent to the father's house to anoint the next king. He was sitting minding sheep. You see, things aren't always what they seem. You don't have to be everywhere for God to know where to find you. If God got an assignment, if he's got a, a mark on you, he's going to make a way to get your attention. He's going to knock at that door and he's going to invite you to take up that assignment that he's got for you. And perhaps there is someone here today that feel that God had forgotten them, that feel that they have a purpose and a presence, a gift that they want to give God. But perhaps many years have gone by and you forgot Maybe God has forgotten this dream that he's given me. I want to say to you that when God has marked you, he never forgets you. When God has marked you for something, he does not forget you. He marked David to be the king, the next king of Israel, even though his father didn't think he was worthy. Now, I just want you to Bring it into context. Think about this realistically. Your own father excludes you out of an inheritance. How does that make you feel? And so sometimes we read over this and we think that it's a story. It's actually happened. This is an account in the Bible that took place. David could have sat there and he could have felt when he entered into this home, he could have felt, okay, well, now I'm invited. Now I'm good enough. Second thought. Afterthought. But you see, David wasn't like that. David simply just wanted to please God. If, you just, if your goal is just to please God, I want to tell you to tighten up your buckle because God will take you to places you've never thought that you could go to. And I'm not talking about physical places only. But God will take you to heights that you've never dreamed. Ephesians 3.20, you know the scripture. It says, my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can think, ask, or even imagine. Through the power that works. Who is that power? It's the Holy Spirit. He's able to do exceedingly. You think it, he can do it, and more. And so God has not forgotten. Ask David. David was then anointed in front of his brothers to be the next king of Israel. David, at this stage, was 17 years old when he was anointed. 17. Do we have anybody that's 17 here? I know my daughter is 17. 17, when he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. 
Queen Elizabeth died a couple of days ago at the age of 96. David was 17 when he was anointed. He didn't walk out there all chested out and puffed up thinking that, well, God has now chosen me, so you know what? I'm now the man, so please can I sit in the front seat? David went back and he started and he tended his sheep again. Then God used him to play the harp for Saul because whenever a demonic spirit came to tempt Saul or, or taunt Saul, David would, would play the harp just to, to settle him down. See, there was, a, there was a growing period that David needed to go to. He was a shepherd boy. What did he know about being in the palace? What did he know about the protocols of serving a king? He was a shepherd boy. So what did God do? God put him into the palace to play a harp. Don't ever underestimate your praise and worship team and your musicians in the church. They are the ones that win our battles before we even get there. And so what happens is when David was in the, in the palace, he started learning about the protocols of the palace. When David was in the palace, I'm not even halfway through my message. When David was in the palace, he started understanding how the palace operates. And then even the person that he served started pursuing him to take his life because he was jealous of him. See, God just checks his heart all the time. David, what are you going to do? There's a time that David could kill Saul. But then David's commander of his army says, shall I kill him? And David says to his commander, no, don't touch God's anointed. He still, saw, still, uh, still Saul was the king, you see. David was eventually appointed as king of Israel and Judah at the age of 30. 13 years later, 13 years later, some of you are in that 13 years. Just wait upon the Lord and you will renew your strength. You will mount up with eagles, like eagles, with wings. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. You see, if you wait upon the Lord, it's not a passive waiting. It's a, that wait is pursuing God. You seek Him. Lord, what is it that you want for my life? And so my encouraging, encouragement to you today, my friend, wherever you find yourself tomorrow at work, when you bump into someone in the shop tomorrow after work because you're picking up bread and milk, always remember this word. Well, things aren't always what they seem. God's got an assignment for me. I'm here because I need to affect someone's life. Amen. I trust that you were blessed by the word of God today. And I know that God is going to use you as a church, but also individually, tremendously. Allow me just to pray over you. Just bow your heads. Close your eyes. Again, with the permission of the leadership of this church, which I'm sure they won't have a problem with, but I want to extend an invitation to any person here, perhaps, that does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. 
You see, friend, I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. I'm talking about knowing him, having that relationship with him. If you're sitting here today and and you're thinking my life has got little purpose, I want to say to you, no, my friend. Jesus has given you a new life. In fact, the Bible tells us that your life, your real life, is hidden in Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray for you. In order for me to pray for you, I want you to raise your hand at the count of three. But before I pray, a second invitation is perhaps to those that do not know Jesus. But yet, you've known Him once before. But you know your relationship with Him is not right. I've drifted away from what I should be doing. And you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand alongside those who wants to give their life to Jesus for the first time. But before you do, a third invitation. If you were to die today, and that is a reality that we all faced with, do you know for sure that your next moment is going to be with the Lord? It's going to be in heaven. If you're not sure, the Bible says that you will know that you have eternal life. There is a knowing, there's a witness in your spirit that you are a child of God. I'm not talking about you being perfect. I'm talking about you being surrendered. Three invitations. If you want to accept Jesus. Number two, if you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. Or number three, you just want to make sure that heaven is your home. At the count of three, raise your hands. One, two, three. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Um, There's a gentleman at the back there. He's got his hand raised. If I can just ask a leader to attend to that person. Is there anybody else? The Bible says this. All of heaven rejoices if one person receives the Lord. One person. Now the rest of you look up at me for a second. I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, are you saved? And look at them until they're uncomfortable. Ask them if they're saved. Now, if you've had a neighbor that's not sure, lift up the hand for them. It's an important thing, guys. You know what? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, after everything has been said and done, at the end of the day, did you lift up your hand or did she lift it up for you? All right. At the end of the day, Here's the reality. We will all stand before the Lord and He will ask us to give an account for all our works. And we will have to say either Ish or we'll say Hallelujah. I want to be the Hallelujah crowd that says, Lord, I did something for you. Amen.
So I'm going to ask the church, I'm not sure how to direct them. There is a couple of salvations. Lead them and then, all right. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So close your eyes, everybody. And then those, especially those who raise their hands, I want you to say this out loudly because the Bible says in Romans chapter 9 or 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The next verse, verse 10 says, it's with your mouth confession is made to salvation. With your heart you believe to righteousness, but it's with your mouth you confess to salvation. So that confession is important. Let's pray this together. Say, dear, dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. Today, I accept you as my personal Lord and as my Savior. Come into my heart and save me. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Today, I promise to live a life for you. I promise to let my old habits go and live for you, Jesus. I ask you to help me in this and thank you for my salvation. Amen. Well, family, bless you. Before I go, remember this. Things aren't always what they seem. Amen. Bless you and thank you for having me. Yeah, let's praise the Lord. He's good. 